recorded live. Hello, this is William Fank of Christagenia.org, and this is Christagenia Saturdays. Today is Saturday, July 20. I'm sorry, July 6th. Oh, my echo is back, my old familiar friend. This is Saturday, July 6th, 2013, and tonight we are going to present Against the Paul Bashers, Part 23. I don't know why I have this echo. TalkShoe has been dogging me one way or another. Last night, TalkShoe terminated my program for no apparent reason about an hour and ten minutes into it. Fortunately, I had a Christogenia recording that um, I could fall back on. It, it wasn't ideal because I found that Skype had been manipulating my sound devices so that Skype would have um, the, the majority of the bandwidth, I guess, and my recording was um, very low, a very low level, and it was terrible. So I had to use a hybrid patching the talk show recording to the back end of of my own recording where the equality improved greatly once Skype disconnected. So so I think I have Skype set up correctly now. I don't I had it set up correctly and the settings changed on an upgrade. That's nice of Microsoft to do that. Microsoft bought Skype two years ago and they ruined everything they touch. I um I, I plan eventually to move to something called Ikigo, which is a different um, internet telephony application. But but that that too has a learning curve, which I haven't figured out yet. But I hope to get to it one day soon. This is part 23 of our series addressing the Paul bashing articles of Clayton Douglas. Once again, I have Sword Brethren here to present this with me. Hello. Hello, Brian. Although this has been a long and drawn-out series, many of our listeners and many of our listeners are probably tired of our expositions of Clayton Douglas's absolute stupidity. I really hate not finishing things which I have started. And therefore, here we shall commence without address the Douglas's second Paul Bashing article entitled Saul of Tarsus and His Doctrine of Lawlessness which he published in the January 2004 edition of the Free American News magazine. Douglas, and, and Douglas didn't write this article, but he took credit for it, so he deserves it. Um, I believe we, well, we believe we think we know who wrote this article and, and can't prove it. it. It's a clown that goes by the name Brother Nehemiah or something like that. Who, Is it Brother Nazariah? Brother Nazariah, who claims to be an Essene. Uh, of some sort of Essene church, which is really a hippie sect commune up in the North Pacific somewhere, as far as I've seen of it. That's the impression I got. Douglas, while attempting to discredit Holocaust, instead consistently discredits his own person by making all sorts of false accusations and inconsistent statements. His ludicrous statements have gotten even wilder as his articles have come to a close. Most notably, however, is that while claiming to be a Christian, Douglas even rejects many of the primary tenets of Christianity found throughout the prophets and confirmed by the Gospels. He rejected the notion that Yahshua Christ was indeed the Messiah and Redeemer of our Israelite race, 
the New Testament says that in many places explicitly, the prophets and prophecies concerning Christ express that in many places also. So in other words, not only does he fail miserably as an identist, he's certainly no, no identist by any stretch of the imagination. He fails as a fundamentalist mainstream Christian. Well, well, right. The, the entire, um, the, the, the entire, all of the assertions in these articles fail mainstream Christian litmus tests for Christianity and, and put one in the category of being a Jew, basically. But when you claim that Christ wasn't the Messiah come to save anyone and he wasn't supposed to be sacrificed and he wasn't the Lamb of God, that, that, then you're basically a Jew. He was murdered and lost to us for all time. Right, which is also another Jewish idea, right? It's anti-Christian. It, it um, abolishes the, the hopes, the Christian hope of, of resurrection, eternal life. Right, because if, if Christ is dead and gone forever and, he's, and that's the end of him, well, what hope is there for any of us? It denies transcendentalism and it denies the efficacy of God in the world, which is the Sadducee position. Right, straight out of the mind of the Sadducees. Right. I, I was once talking to a Jew, and I asked him what he thought became of the Sadducees, and he said, well, don't you know they went on the right to town, but and today we call them rabbis. Right. And, and, and um, you know, they, they love it when we think that the Pharisees are the guilty parties because the Pharisees are merely legalists, and, and, and that deflects the entire argument away from the godless bastards and the humanist ideas, which which represent the Sadducees, which the Sadducees represented, and today the Jews represent. Right, because the um, the Pharisees valued the law, or at least their understanding of the law. And we come from a society, it seems, where lawyers are held to scorn. And the Sadducees, as Joseph has explained, the Sadducees said that God had no care if men were moral or not. And, and that men had personal choices to be um, immoral or moral as, as they deemed fit. Basically, that was the Sadducee position, and, and that's how Joseph's, I'm paraphrasing it, I covered it at length in, in my Acts, my presentations on Acts chapters 4 and 5 at Christoginia lately, and all of my citations and exact quotes are in those, those podcast notes. Well, you know, that sounds like Anton LaVey in the Church of Satan, that you are your own God, and whatever you think is right, if it's right for you, do it. Well, well the Sadducees, basically, Jewish relativism is what they represented. Um, the, the Jewish um, tendency to... to make immorality or morality a personal choice, kind of like Coke or Pepsi. And they basically stopped short of denying God altogether because that they just couldn't, that wasn't politically viable at that time. But they denied the essence of God. They denied the essence of God because they denied that God had any care or hand in the affairs of men. Right, and they denied the afterlife, they denied the power of God, they denied the promises of God. So at the end of the day... The facade is still there. They're not out of the closet atheists or Satanists, but they've, gut, they've gutted the interior. There's nothing inside. Absolutely. And, and the Sadducees, really, the, um, the, the philosophical and, and genetic forebears of today's Jews, to a great degree. And okay. I was going to say, they, they will admit that, though, if you ask them about that. You know, who wrote the Talmud? Where... 
where do you get your theological and philosophical worldview from? And they'll, they'll tell you the Sadducees. No doubt. The material being presented here tonight first appeared in Clifton M. Heiser's Watchmen's Teaching Letters, number 106, which was published in February of 2007. This will certainly be the last of the series on the Paul bashing of Clayton Douglas. There is other material, however, from other Paul bashers that I would like to address, Yahweh willing, and which I think needs to be addressed. Some of it is more slickly packaged and more sophisticated than the Clay Douglas approach. However, it is basically nothing more than the same old trash, the same old Jewish treachery recycled by various other clowns. I speak not only of W.G. Finley, he has to be addressed, but he's old hat, but also of the likes of more recent clowns, such as Scott McQuaid, who actually um, tries to say that Paul and Apollonius of Tiana, who was a, a basically an event of later Greek novelists, were one and the same person. And, and the fools at faithweb.com and at the South African site, truthseekers.co.za. They're certainly not interested in the truth. Well, well, right. We will be addressing all of these later this year or early next year. Yahweh, God be willing. When we ended the last segment of the series, we stopped much closer to the end of Douglas's article than I had thought. So we do not have to go very far here tonight to get to the end. And it's really almost embarrassingly close because it's not enough material to do a program in itself. However, we will discuss some of the highlights or perhaps lowlights of Douglas's contentions against Paul, and perhaps Ray also, and perhaps also some of the areas where Paul is so often and so unfairly misunderstood. Do you have any comments? Well, I'm glad we're finally reaching the end of this, uh, I suppose I'll say, tragic comedy. It's been a long ride. It, it, it had to be done. We We had to do this, and we're finally putting Douglas to rest, and he can just be consigned to the ash heap of human history, along with all the other Paul Bashers. They really have they have nothing other than lies, distortions, half-truths, fabrications, and just sometimes outright falsifications. It's a fantasy. It's a novel. It's a comic book. Right, and what's you know some of this other stuff is even worse than Douglas. I'm, if we go to uh, this PaulProblem.FakeWeb.com, which is a site that that's written by people with a very Jewish attitude, and they're posing as Christians, and and we can make a career out of addressing this trash. Paul's rebuke of Peter, have we misunderstood what really happened at the Antioch incident? Number one, number two, number three, all the way up to number 12. Contrast the gospel message of Paul versus the gospel message of Yeshua. Now, wherever you see Yeshua in, in somebody's writing, you know without a doubt that they're using Jewish sources that they have um, a Jewish affectation to their minds, and that they're probably Jews themselves, because Yeshua is, is basically a denigration of Christ by assigning that, that form of that name to him. And, and they have four 
sections on that. I mean, it's it's a it's a huge ongoing project that they have to basically tear apart the Christianity so that we could all return to Judaism. Absolutely. And I'm looking at this on paulproblem.faithweb.com. Bet Amet Ministries Hebrew for the House of Truth. Yeah, yeah there's a lot of Hebrew unnecessarily interspersed in their language. There's Hebrew salutation, shalom, and baruch Hashem on, on, on their website all over the place that they use um quasi-Hebrew names and in, 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 in their titles and, and their persons and their email addresses and their aliases. These people are Jews. If they're not Jews genetically, they're definitely Jews between the years. There's no doubt. But I think that these people are Jews. They use that word that's spelling Yeshua, which is Jewish in every way. And their entire approach to Scripture is a Jewish approach to Scripture. These people, the, the Paul bashing Jews are at the root of all Paul bashing. And, and whether or not modern or, or contemporary Christian Paul bashers realize it or not, their, their doubts about the epistles of Paul and the arguments against them almost entirely come from Jews. And right. I understand that there's a lot of problems with Paul's epistles. And... I believe that my translation clears up most of those problems, and I can defend my Greek effectively, and I will before anyone, um, in spite of how many Judeo-Christian Eli James recruits to try to take me apart. It doesn't matter. It, um, it doesn't matter to me. I've just done some looking here. PaulProblem.com, the site registry, it's a domain privacy service, so they've concealed their name. We can't find the name of who owns and operates that website, which tells me that it, it could be, you know, Moshe Kaganov, it could be Murray November, who, who right. knows what kind but of I, name it is. Even I use that for most of my websites, and that's because um, that there's a, a, a great potential for abuse having your your um, P.O. box even. I, I don't even want my P.O. box. I, I put my P.O. box on my websites, I do. But, right. but to have no, my, I, my name and my phone number in the who is search without having domain privacy, that there's a great potential for harassment there. So. Right. Uh, particularly with you, though, you're not mainstream. Where these paulproblem.com, they're not going to get ARA people mailing them letter bombs. Right. Probably not. I'm sure. I would just say that they're concealing their identity because it's probably an overtly Jewish name. Yeah, yeah, well, the site is very Jewish in its nature, in its tone, and, and in the language and the words that it uses. There's no doubt. <laughs> so at, at the end of the day, Paul bashing is either coming from Jews or people who have been misled by Jews. Well, well real identity Christians, and, and I know that there have been some that lean towards it, but those people really come from the Hebrew names movement more than they come from identity Christianity. Real identity Christians should know better to try to mimic the Jews. We don't want to become the Jews, right? I mean, we don't want to start using, um, well, we don't want to start using these salutations like Shalom and Baruch Hashem and goodbye and hello are good enough for me. Yeah, you know, I mean, it, 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 it gets to the point of, of looking ridiculous. I don't want to look like a rabbi, or, and, and I sure as hell don't want to sound like I should be speaking Yiddish. Absolutely. I don't even want to trust the Jews, and, and I, I, I've touched on this a few times in, in um, 
my presentation on act so far, the difference in transliterations between the way a word sounded in Hebrew and was translated into Greek by the New Testament and the Septuagint writers is, is very often totally different than the way these Jews transliterate the same words into English and other languages today. And, and oftentimes you can't even tell it's really the same word. So, so there's definitely um, serious differences between the way ancient Hebrew was read, even at the time of Christ, which is rather recent, and the way these Masoretic and, and Yiddish-speaking Jews understand the Hebrew spelling and pronunciation. I've just verified two, what is it, um, truthseeker.co.za. It's not even registered in South Africa. It's registered to a man named Thomas Choquit, who is in Washington State, USA. So he's not even a South African. That's interesting. He's, he's and, only trying to pollute the mind himself. Right, and looking up the name Choquit, it actually is an avocado. So that, that'd be like if your name were Bill Watermelon or, you know, Bill Walnut. This guy's last name is just another word for an avocado. Right. Which, that's bizarre, if you ask me. Yes, it is. I don't think it's a European name. <laughs> okay, would you? Well, we only have a couple of references left in, in Douglas's arguments, and, and then we have a, a, a few digressions lined up. Would you like to begin? Well, one of the more entertaining, I, I use that loosely here, references was when he said, reference 17, quote, well, well, I would like to finish 85 and 86 first. And, and oh, okay. I, I didn't know you wanted to finish 85 and 86. And, and then we could go on with, with um, our, uh, our summary highlights. All right. Reference 85. Douglas states, A road that requires nothing of you but to have faith is the broadest road imaginable. But isn't that the broad road that today's Judeo-Christians feel they deserve. This is the next to last reference in Douglas's article. One more paragraph and we're done with Douglas's article. And this right. is just primary. That the, um, it's already been seen in earlier sections of, of our response to Clay Douglas that Paul's idea of faith encompassed both the performance of good works on a part of a Christian acting on his faith and obedience to God. And, and that's very clear in many places in Paul's epistles that we, we had already presented here. Paul cannot be blamed because these passages are ignored in favor of other passages that, that are, are, are oversimplified and taken out of context. Paul can't be blamed for the state of Judeo-Christians today. It's very clear. Paul attached the idea of doing good works to his definition of how we should act on our faith and what our faith should be many times. And if you search the concordance for good works in, in Paul's epistles, you'll come up with, with several, um, several citations, and you'll be able to look those passages up. I mean, it's, it's, they're definitely there. There's no doubt. Oh, and Bill, not to interject or divert, but I just tracked down the origin of that name, Choquit, in France. It's derived from the old French, Soquit, 
which was the term for a tax on wine and foodstuffs. It's an occupational name for a collector of such taxes. Well, then he's a Jew. No doubt he's a Jew. Because that, that they took all those names, especially in France. So his ancestors were just people walking around collecting taxes on food and wine. So he's just a Jew who's descended from tax collectors. Right. And he's operating a website to make it appear that identity Christians in South Africa are against Paul and to sway them when he's not even in South Africa. Well, well, that's pretty sad, but yeah, yeah, that's the state of the internet. I mean, when I see a good website or a bad website, I usually do want to look it up and see who owns it. Good works in Paul's epistles. One Timothy five ten. Well, we poured up for good works. If she has brought up children, talking about a wife, right, or, or a widow that the church, the assembly should care for. If she has brought up children, if she has lodged strangers, if she has washed the saints' feet, if she has relieved the afflicted, if she has dif- diligently followed every good work. Paul is telling us that these good works are a necessary part of our life. If the assembly of God is going to assist us later in life when we can't help ourselves, how did we help our brethren when we were able to do so? And that's that's the meaning behind his advice on the care of widows. 1 Timothy 6.16, charge them that are rich in this world that they not be high-minded nor trust in uncertain riches, but in a living God who gives us richly all things to enjoy, that they do good, that they be rich in good works, ready to distribute, willing to communicate, meaning to share their wealth with their more needy brethren. That there's all sorts of um, references and exhortations in Paul's epistles that Christians do good works, now, James saw works and faith as, as a single entity, that faith required the, the performance of works, and at time, Paul simply used different phraseology. He had a slightly different output. The end result is the same. That there's no, um, the, the Judeo-Christian, all I have to do is um, say, I believe in Jesus and I'm saved. Well, well, you know, if Christians don't act on their faith, if indeed they're Christians, meaning that they must be Israelites first, genetically, then then um, basically they have no reward. And and that's the Judeo-Christians have twisted all of that out, out, out of context. And that's not Paul's fault. It's not Paul's fault at all. All of the Paul bashers blame Paul for the perversions, the churchianity perversions of Paul's epistles. And they're not Paul's fault. And and that can be proven over and over and over again. Douglas uses a term that he considers to be an oxymoron, right? He says, but isn't that the broad road that today's Judeo-Christians feel they deserve? Now, Douglas said in in the very beginning of his first article that the term Judeo-Christian is almost an oxymoron. I don't know why he said almost, but he said it's almost an oxymoron. In the title to his first article, 
Douglas offered Judeo-Christianity as the alternative for Pauline Christianity. And here he disdains Judeo-Christianity. So, so Douglas, you know, the thinking, the, the thinking, his thinking is obviously quite confused. For my part, I take Paul over the Jews any day, right? All of these quirks, when you examine Douglas's arguments, show his fragmented mind and, and his inconsistent thought. There's no doubt. Well, just logically, it, it doesn't make sense. Paul's a deserter from a Roman legion. He's committed infamous atrocities and misdeeds under the name Saul. So now he's going by the name Paul. Douglas says he's trying to lay low and, and avoid drawing attention to himself. But now he's going around telling people, I used to be um, Saul. I committed all these horrible things, but I've seen the light. There's a better path. So he's trying to lay low, but now he's confessing and telling people who he used to be. And the disciples, he stalked them for four or five years, but they don't recognize him now because he's changed his name, and I guess he's wearing a mustache. Well, well the Douglas material has, has convoluted itself through and through. He constantly contradicts himself. In fact, that there are places where he's called Luke Paul's devotee, criticizing Luke, and, and then there are places that he's quoting Luke in, in this series. And he's quoting scriptures that only appear in Luke. Well, he'll quote Luke if it serves his purpose. So that's the issue here. Douglas says Luke isn't valid because Luke is a cheerleader for Paul. Well, if Luke isn't valid, you can't use him for any reason. You can't use him to support your argument against Paul. You can't use him at all. If you're saying he's not valid... It doesn't matter if there's a sentence or two that he's uttered that will reinforce your argument. You've just said he's not valid. That means you have to drop him entirely. Right, right. you're a hypocrite. Or, or you're a hypocrite. Well, Clay Douglas is... Whoever wrote these articles is, is extremely hypocritical. Right. But you'll, you'll reference 86, which is the last reference in this article. Clayton Douglas states, in conclusion, Paul Saul of Tarsus taught deviation. Today, he'd be called an agent provocateur. Paul may have been, may even have been the individual that the Damascus document identifies as the liar and the apostate. And as to why he went to the effort to found a new religion, many suggest that it was a brilliantly conceived means to diffuse the political significance of Jesus and his Davidic bloodline. As an agent of the pro-Roman Sadducee establishment, Paul the Pharisee found a perfect way to deflect anti-Roman agitation into yet another Roman mystery cult. He has so, to, is Paul a defector from the Roman army, or is he an agent of the Roman Sadducee establishment? Well, he, he deserted the army, but he's working for the Roman secret police, their intelligence force. <laughs> so how is he a deserter? Well, the, the, the desertion was part of his cover. Okay. Okay. Uh, and Clay Douglas, it's, it's his article, but obviously he needs your help in, in writing it because he couldn't do that on his own. He couldn't express those. He, he couldn't even perceive the, the dichotomy on his own, the conflict in, in the two opposing viewpoints. Right. So we have to explain that for him, where if I were going to concoct a lie in a novel, I would at least make it internally consistent. Clay Douglas isn't even a good novelist. He's not even a good liar. Well, when, when you're writing something, it should be consistent with itself, right? If you're writing a five-page essay, page three shouldn't contradict what you wrote on page two. And if it does, then you're an idiot. 
There, there's no two ways about that. Continuing, he apparently succeeded very well. The Romans may have had more reasons to throw Christians to the lions than merely worrying that the moralistic folk might cancel their orgies and parties, especially if early Christianity were a successful anti-Roman political movement. If early Christianity was really a revolutionary political movement fully within the sphere of Jesus' teachings at the time, whence the Christianity of today end? All right, so... Well, first off, Paul himself was tried and beheaded in Rome, right? And according to generations of early Christian writers, where no disputatious accounts exist... You know, when you have in ancient literature, when you have two accounts, let's say Hesiod said one thing, and, and Hesiod and Homer are both thick poets, right? Of, of the 7th century B.C., if Hesiod said one thing about the Trojan War and Homer said another thing about the Trojan War, which was totally in conflict to Hesiod, right, then you, you might be able to argue for one side in favor of the other, right? Right. But when all of the ancient writers of a given topic agree in something, then you don't have that option. And all of the ancient Christian writers from, from the second, well, well, we'll count Ignatius and Clement as being the second century, because they were the very end of the first, but from the second through the fourth centuries, all of these ancient writers agree that Paul was beheaded by Nero in Rome for his Christian confession. And generations of Christians who received their Christianity from Paul of Tarsus primarily were thrown to the lions. And, and, and martyred by the Romans. So, so how is Paul not the, the, um, at the vanguard of this revolutionary political movement? How did Paul betray it? He lost his head for it. He didn't betray it at all. And, and, and many people following him went to the grave with him. He, was, he, he didn't betray it at all. That was part of the plan. He wanted to take all those people. He convinced them they had to martyr themselves. Don't you see, Bill? That was part of the plan well, to course, destroy Paul, the vanguard of um, early Christianity. I guess <laughs> it, it's um, it, it's it, it, it's it's this is Clayton Douglas trying to write, or whoever Brother Nazariah or whoever this clown is trying to write his own version of history. It doesn't compare to the ancient documents by any means. Now. This um, abuse of the Dead Sea Scrolls, because we've already established several times here that the Dead Sea Scrolls, the writers of the Dead Sea Scrolls were not even Christian. And there's not one shred of evidence in the Dead Sea Scrolls that the writers of the Dead Sea Scrolls knew anything of Christianity. In fact, there's much evidence in the Dead Sea Scrolls which reveals that they knew nothing of Christianity. And if they're not Christians, then the, or they know nothing of Christianity, then the liar of the Dead Sea Scrolls cannot be Paul of Tarsus. Well, that would seem to follow, wouldn't it? And if they're not, well, if they're not Christians, we don't need their commentary on Christian theology or on living. We don't ask um, scholars from Egypt and Saudi Arabia to comment on the Bible. We're not interested in what they have to say. Right. Joseph Jeffers is the um, 
he is the first one that either Clifton Amaheiser or I could find who was the who, who was identifying this liar of the Dead Sea Scrolls was Paul of Tarsus. Clifton wrote in his um in his Watchman's teaching letter number eighty nine at the beginning of this Paul Bashan series for September two thousand and five. Before we get started in our defense of Paul, I would like to demonstrate the case in point where such spurious conclusions are misconceived. One such architect of misconceptions is the late Joseph Jeffers, whose perverted theology factor has been taken over by one Dr. Philip Evans. Jeffers and company are Paul Basher's extraordinaire. One of Jeffers's twisted premises is that the Christ of our Bible was a fake and that the true Messiah was the teacher of righteousness of the Dead Sea Scrolls. To enforce such a serious position, the attempts to show that his teacher of righteousness lived contemporaneously with Caesar Augustus some 60 years earlier. In Jeffers' publication, Yahweh, Yesterday, Today, and Forever, on page 24, he makes the statement, Another revelation from Yahweh concerning the Messiah was that he was not born on December 25th in the year 1 or 4 B.C. First, let us take the year of his birth. Luke 2, 1 is the scripture that is the basis for this falsity. And it came to pass in those days, and there went out a decree from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be taxed. And Joseph also went up from Galilee to be taxed with Mary, his espoused wife being great with child. And so it was, while they were there, the days were accomplished that she should be delivered. Here let us do some more reasoning. If you look up Caesar Augustus in the encyclopedia, you'll find that Caesar Augustus was born in 63 B.C. Now, if the scripture in Luke is anywhere near correct, then the Messiah was born approximately the same time when Caesar Augustus was in power, or 45 B.C. Well, what Jeffers is really, and, and Clifton addresses this, what Jeffers is really misleading about is that Caesar and Augustus are titles. Right. Caesar and Augustus can be applied to any Caesar who adopted those titles after that time. Nero adopted those titles. Tiberius adopted those titles. Tiberius is the Caesar Augustus. Tiberius is the Caesar of Luke chapter 2, not Caesar. The, the first Caesar called Caesar Augustus was Octavian. And, and he ruled for, for a, several years before he adopted the titles Caesar and Augustus. Right, but Christ was born during the reign of Augustus, Octavian. Well, he was born during the reign of Octavian, yes, but he was... He began his ministry in the 15th year of Tiberius, who would also use those titles, Caesar and Augustus. And Nero later used the title Augustus. And he's, in fact, Nero is referred to by Luke at the end of the book of Acts as Augustus. However, he used the Greek word, the Greek equivalent, Sebastes. Sebastes, from which we get the, the, the name Sebastian. Sebastes is the Greek equivalent of Augustus. And that word was used by Luke in reference to Nero at the end of Acts. So it's these, these are titles, right? But Jeffers, who claimed to be a doctor, another one, he's like Dr. Gregor, right? And just uh, about just as sharp. 
and 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 he's trying to use this title and apply it to the emperor that he wants to apply it to. However, if you read the beginning of Luke's Gospel, Luke mentioned Quirinius and Archelaus and, and several other political figures of the time. And when you date those political figures, you'll know that Luke was talking about Tiberius without a doubt. Jeffers didn't go that far, did he? Probably not. So he tried to put the, the, um, the birth of Christ many years before it actually occurred. So basically just because they referred to him as Caesar Augustus, that, well, that's the equivalent of a, a historian of Russia who says, oh, he was born in the 10th year of the rule of the czar. Okay, well, that's going to be whatever czar I want him to be, whatever fits my novel. Czar is just a title which, incidentally, is derived from Caesar. Right. Now, now this, um, the original Jeffers website, which Evans had taken over, is Yahweh's New Kingdom, all one word, Yahweh'sNewKingdom.com. And it's out of business right now. I, I mean, I get a blank page when I bring it up. There's no website on the website any longer. But let's read a little from um, the protest station, .wordpress.com. It, about Yahweh's New Kingdom and Dr. Joseph Jeffers. Yahweh's New Kingdom was founded by Dr. Joseph Jeffers. He was ordained a Baptist minister in 1918, but in 1943, he announced that he was the Christ. His followers believed that he was the true Messiah and was also Adam, Elijah, and other biblical figures in the past, all reincarnated of Jeffers died, died in 1988, and now his followers believe he is in the center of the earth, controlling Yahweh's kingdom. Wait, this guy has followers with that theology? Well, you know, this is the West Coast in the 1940s, so yes, I guess he does. Maybe LSD was going around a little sooner than we thought. Or maybe they were smoking those mushrooms before the 60s. This, this, it gets really ridiculous, right? They believe that Joseph Jeffers is going to return in a golden UFO to save the world, and, and he's living in the center of the earth with everybody else who ever died. I don't know how they get reincarnated if they're still living in the center of the earth. I haven't figured that one out yet. Somebody sent me the Joseph Jeffers material and the book back in, in um, probably 1998 or 99. And I looked at it back then and and, um, and, and found it well, okay. basically oh, ridiculous. And, and um, I never got back to it, but I do have it in my papers pretty good. And it's, it's pretty bad. And, and all of Joseph Jeffers' theology. It's based on all of the, the same... Um, Misunderstandings of history, basically, that, that this Clayton Douglas material is based on. It's very similar, but a lot more, so, a lot further out there, right? This Dr. Jeffers also claims that Jimmy Carter and former Vice President Mondale have died and aliens now inhabit their bodies. I mean, this is the sort of thing you'd expect to hear on some program like Voice of Christian Israel. Well, well, right, and Jeffers was actually one of the earliest major Paul Batchers. Now, because Jeffers is from 
he's not Christian identity by any means, right? I mean, Christian identity, it's, I'm sorry, not the Eli James variety. Real Christian identity is based purely on history and scripture. And Jeffers really comes more from this, um, that this, that this holy name movement that, that was extant at an early time, and uh, basically this holy name movement is very Jewish in flavor, and many of these holy name people actually deny the, uh, that Christ was the Messiah anyway. Well, we've also seen that here in the Clay Douglas material. So I, I wouldn't doubt if Joseph Jeffers wasn't the ultimate source for some of this Paul bashing. Right, and incidentally, Yahweh's new kingdom is registered out of Nova Scotia with a private registry. Why wouldn't like, it be? Like you said, the site is down. I wonder, what's, what's the origin on that name Jeffers? Well, well, I don't know. It sounds pretty Scottish to me. It, it's, I'm not sure. But then he's claiming that he's God. Well, well, yes, that's basically how he ended up claiming that he was God. Well, which is really pretty sickening. So these are the Paul bashers. They bash Paul for claiming to be the Messiah and that Paul set himself up as the central figure in a new religion, yet this guy's claiming to be the Messiah. Well, well, right, and, and, and Jeffers was a Paul basher. I'm having problems with one of my browsers. I'm trying to do a search on Clifton's website. Right. Are there any more references, or shall we begin with the cherry-picked ones? Well, well, I actually have one more, um, one more Jeffers reference that I sort of lost. Here it is. Now, now Clifton, having the Jeffers material available, when we discussed this, um, these Paul bashing articles, and, and when we were writing that these Paul bashing articles, the, our response to them, Clifton, I didn't have, I no longer had um, access to the Jeffers book and, and the material, I just didn't. However, Clifton did, and he had addressed some of this. And I just want to repeat or, or read part of Clifton's teaching letter, number 101 from September 2006, where he says, here again we sh Well, where am I? Yeah, in a section of his article which follows, Douglas offers a perverted interpretation of some lines from the Dead Sea Scrolls, which I shall discuss at length. While it cannot be substantiated here, Douglas seems to get these particular ideas from Joseph, De Joseph Jeffers and his successor, Philip B. Evans, both so-called doctors of an organization which they call Yahweh's New Kingdom based in Prescott, Arizona. Douglas is also from Arizona. Both Jeffers and Evans claimed to be prophets. Well, Jeffers actually claimed to be God, right? Offered contorted versions of history and are Paul Bashers, universalists, and inventors of tales. But this is, it, it's very, I mean, it's not definite, but it's very likely that this is where the material trying to link Paul to the Dead Sea Scrolls originates is with this Joseph Jeffers. 
and and this um Yahweh's new kingdom ministry he calls it right. Well, he should have just called it the Church of Satan because that's the end result. He's saying that he is not only is he saying he is his own God, he's saying he's God. Period. So he's everyone's God. Right. So, I'd, like to, I'd like to present the closing notes to this series, and we'll probably have plenty of time to get to the, the highlights which you want to discuss. Yet I must wonder if Douglas is so concerned about Christianity, true intolerant, as he puts it, non-politically correct Christianity, as he puts it. Why does he attack Paul of Tarsus based on the remarks and opinions of Jews, such as Saul Stein? Sigmund Freud. Atheists such as Friedrich Nietzsche, liberal theologians such as John Spahn, an embracer of homosexuals, Jews, and Negroes. How is this collection of miscreants and sexual deviants any alternative to Paul of Tarsus? And how could they possibly deal with the just moral Paul in an objective manner? Douglas is an absolute hypocrite. Now, Douglas, just a few years ago, basically attempted to chastise me and upbraid me for being a racist. Well, Bill, more than a point, he threatened you with physical violence. Well, yeah, he did. So he talks about tolerance, understanding, fellowship, love, let's all just hold hands and sing songs, but he's going to have the Hell's Angels beat you up. <laughs> well, well, right, but, but he also talks here about um, Christianity being intolerant. And, right, and... Non-politically correct Christianity, and, and and then he he um he gets all mad at me and 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 denounces Christian identity when he finds out that it's racist. Let's not forget too that he also references George Bernard Shaw and other communists and socialists and social democrats. So that's his little anti-Paul clique. An entire list of them. And it, it's hard to imagine that somebody could work with a uh, self-styled identity pastor for over a year and not get at least some inkling that race is pretty much central to the theology. Well, not only that, but and, and Douglas did work with Eli James for over a year before he met me and found out that identity Christians were racist and began to hate Christian identity. But now that I've split from Eli James, Clayton Douglas is back to working with Eli James. And it's all over his YouTube page. There's references to Eli James all over Clayton Douglas's YouTube page. So he's embraced him once again. And they're not old references. They're all within the last, some of them are four or five weeks recent. Yes, they're all from between um, the end of 2012 and just a few weeks ago, May 2017. Right, and you've been denounced as an I'm sorry, go on. I just wanted to say you've been denounced as an anti-Jewish, anti-Semitic, hateful racist who's a shill infiltrating identity and trying to make it about race. Right. Well, Clay Douglas, the Paul Basher, is once again working with Eli James. And Eli's evidently accepted him because it's written all over his YouTube page. Right, but if I'm not mistaken, Clay Douglas is openly identified as being, what, uh, is it part Apache or Navajo or whatever? Well, well it's the Eli James' current theology. But he's it's above the my current theology, so it's fine. Douglas is above the 15% limit, or was that 15% for Edomites, where Indians may be the lines drawn at 25%? I really think that 
I don't know. I, I, sometimes I try to see the best in people, and sometimes I think that they're all working for the ADL. I, I don't get it. I, I don't get how white Christians listen to these people and, and countenance them at all and, and accept them as, as Christians, not, not even identity pastors. It's crazy. I'd like to read Clifton Emmeheiser's closing notes on the Clay Douglas series where he says, at this point, it becomes the reader's responsibility to check out everything presented in this series, taking the pulp bashers to task. Either the facts which have been presented in the series are true or they are not true. This series may not bring a cessation of pulp bashing, but it may make it much more difficult for those promoting Paul's demise than they ever deemed it might be, as now their audience may demand documented proof of their allegations. Well, I would hope so, but that never seems to be the case, right? And not only that, but we have presented the truth to the matters which Clayton Douglas has raised to the best of our ability, and now the consequences rest fairly upon the reader's shoulders to check out. The Paul Bashers needn't ever say it. The white throne judgment that no one ever warned them that they were in error and that their reward might fall into the hate wooden stubble category. Clifton's, re- Clifton's referencing 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Only to be destroyed by fire. Though they themselves, while they suffer great loss, will nevertheless be saved if they are genetically atomites. Well, that excludes Clayton Douglas and the Legends. Hopefully now that the series of defending the Apostle Paul has been completed, a discussion of some of the more difficult to understand teachings of Paul will be undertaken. Just where this new direction will lead has not yet been fully determined. Like this series defending the Apostle Paul, this next sequence of study may take some time to cover. I don't plan a verse-by-verse commentary, but rather shall concentrate on addressing the more difficult passages. Maybe if the harder-to-understand passages are developed, the rest will fall into their proper place. I warn you in advance, we'll definitely get on some thought-provoking subjects. Now, now, Clifton did, after the Paul Basher series, Clifton printed my essay, Misconceptions Concerning Paul and the Church, in his Watchman's Teaching Letters, and then he followed that up with... Um, Six of his own teaching letters, which he wrote, addressing various of Paul's often criticized and misunderstood statements. And they ran in the end of 2007 and 2008, his Watchman's teaching letters 111 through 117. There were some other um, topics mixed in. The, um, the next year and a half, probably on my Friday night program, I will be talking 90% of the time about Paul's process. With my current presentation of Acts, next week I plan to discuss Acts chapter 9. And that is going to address Paul's conversion on the road to Damascus and, and his early persecution of the Christian assemblies. And from that point on, I mean, most of my New Testament commentary will be centered on Paul of Tarsus. And I bet, as I walk through the rest of the book of Acts and through Paul's epistles, that it will probably take me 18 months to do it. And it will be a verse-by-verse commentary, a full explanation, and a reconciliation with all of Scripture of each of Paul's epistles. And that's what I plan the next year to have. Sounds worthwhile. If you want to do some highlights, we can do some highlights. I mean, I know you've been aching to talk about a few things that, that I... The, the biggest problems with the Clayton Douglas material, probably the, the things that stand out most in your memory and, and, 
how basically Clayton Douglas is just a liar. Is, is. I wonder, though, the Paul Bashers, they've had pretty much open invitations to come out, come along here and debate anything, right? Have any of them taken you up? No, I haven't been. I have not been um, accosted or addressed by one single Paul Basher, not by one. Now there, there have been some listeners who have sent me some of the links to the other material that we we're going to discuss sooner or later. We're going to address all this garbage, but but um, I and and there are people that are friendly to to me and listen to these programs, but not one Paul Basher who I've called Ralph Daigle and and Jerry Kirk and any of the other clowns that that want to tear apart Paul Tarsus. Not one of them, and I know that some of them listen to this program. Not one of them has written me and said, yeah, okay, I'll have a discussion with you. Not one of them. Have any of them answered your work and just posted an article on their website addressing the, the issues you've raised? Nobody's, nobody has um, indicated anything like that to me. Uh, I don't pay attention to other people's websites. I really don't. I got my hands full. So they really have nothing other than slandering, slurring, and defaming Paul and then ignoring you when you offer a debate. Well, well, right, just like um, Ted Whelan wants to slander and, and defame Christian Emmerheiser and ignore me when I offer debate. It's typical. Just like the British Israel people want to criticize me and, and um, feed the flames of, of the Jew Gerd Davidi and, and ignore me when I offer debate. So, so it's typical of their behavior. Well, that's pretty sad. I guess it's to be expected, though. I really enjoyed these. It, it's, 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 at least they don't do what E.Y. James does. E.Y. James keeps insisting that I refuse to debate him, but I never received an offer. So uh, what do you say to that, right? Right, and he's written about 250 pages slandering you and Clifton. Right, 250 pages of lies and, and Jewish treachery. Where most people... If they've engaged in a split with someone, they go their way, and that's the end of it. But since he doesn't have a ministry, all he can do is rant and set himself up in opposition to your ministry. Well, I don't want to brag, but Christogony is still in the top tenth of one percent of websites in the world, and Eli James is not in the top um, eight million. So I don't. I'm not bragging. It's just played it. Right. Reference number nine, Clay Douglas states, Bishop John S. Spong, Episcopal Bishop of Newark, quote, Paul's words are not the words of God. They are the words of Paul, a vast difference. Thomas Jefferson said Paul was the first corrupter of the doctrines of Jesus. Thomas Hardy said the New Testament was less a Christian than a Paul. I'm sorry, he said less a Christiad than a Polyad. So, let's see, John Spong, that's the authority Douglas wants to appeal to, and then John Spong just says Paul's words are not the words of God, and then he goes on to quote other people. Instead of going directly to the Bible, he just quotes other people who are talking about Paul. So, Douglas is quoting a man who's quoting other people who are talking about Paul. This is like second or third hand hearsay. Well, well, right, and the man he's quoting is a sexual deviant and, and a race mixer. Well, well, basically, you know, Paul's words are not the words of God. They're not. He doesn't pretend that they are, though. 
He never pretends that they are. Paul does one of two things throughout his epistles. He quotes scripture or he gives advice which he admits is his own because he has no scripture that specifically meets the, 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 um, the occasion or the situation at hand. Right. And, and that's going to happen sometimes. If I'm not mistaken, it usually would take the form of him writing, not God, but I, Paul, say, and then he would go on to give his advice. And I think only on two occasions did he say, not I, Paul, but God says, and then he would say, you know, what, what the scripture was or what had been revealed to him. Exactly. And all of those scriptures are, well, well it's well documented. They're all right from the Old Testament. Old Testament that were around long before Paul. Now, now you could take, yeah, you could accept the word of God and Paul's application. And you could leave it. That's fine. But Paul never said that his letters were the word of God. Paul's epistles are an application of the faith at the time in which they were written for the people who were, were the recipients. That this is Paul advising these people how to practice their faith and the things that they should do, and the things that they should reject. And it's all based on Old Testament Scripture. And every, every, every single line of Paul's epistles can be justified according to the Old Testament Scripture and, and Old Testament prophecy concerning Christianity. But the, the twisters, the, 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 the people who are... Um, prone to perversion, they're going to pervert Paul's epistles regardless because that's their agenda. John Fong has to get rid of Paul, doesn't he? He has to get rid of Paul because only Paul of Tarsus explicitly um, condemns sexual, certain forms of sexual deviancy in the New Testament. Only Paul of Tarsus does that. Four times, I believe it is, Paul of Tarsus explicitly condemns homosexuality. John Hong was ordaining homosexuals as ministers, and he was proud of it. And the, the liberal types who say, oh, the New, the New Testament, Jesus never condemned homosexuality, it's okay to be gay. Well, Jesus never condemned child sacrifice, offering your children up to Moloch. He never condemned bestiality. It went without saying that those things were wrong. It, it was in the law. It was in Leviticus, Deuteronomy. It, it, it's in the Old Testament. He didn't need to reiterate every single syllable of the Old Testament. He didn't come to simply restate the law. Of course not. And, and Paul was an upholder of the law. However, he was an upholder of the law, as the Romans 3.29, I think it is, or 3.31, proves and his explanation to the Romans of, of their relationship, the Christian relationship with the law under the New Covenant, proves that Christians should seek to uphold the law voluntarily. And, and, and basically, that is what you will find in the Old Testament prophecies concerning Christianity that we are not to be judged by the law, that we are to be judged by the favor and mercy of God, because we all are deserving of death. However, because we have God's favor and God's mercy, we should seek, as individuals, to 
uphold and obey God's law. That was Paul's teaching. Absolutely. But the, the, the point there, I, I think, remains. The liberals and the kosher conservative Christian types who want to be accepting of homosexuals because Jesus never explicitly condemned it, does that mean they're accepting of child sacrifice? Because only the Old Testament condemns that. The New Testament, Jesus didn't deal with child sacrifice. Absolutely. Absolutely. So that they, have no, they have no moral standing to be against it then. They have to be consistent. But if Christ quoted Deuteronomy a hundred times, and he probably did, I don't know the exact counts, but he may have, and, and he did quote Deuteronomy, was in the top three books that Christ quoted from, in, in all of his sayings and his maxims and his parables were Deuteronomy, the Psalms of David, and Isaiah. And if Christ quoted Deuteronomy a hundred times, then you would better believe that Christ accepted the rest of Deuteronomy that he didn't quote as a basically legitimate book, um, at, at least fairly establishing what the law of Yahweh should have been. Or should, and even though it's not perfect, we know it has errors, and, and we know the translations have errors, the, law, the, the laws in Deuteronomy and, and um, the pattern of behavior of ideal behavior, which is established for us throughout the Old Testament, should be our model for behavior today. As Paul said, do we then make void the law through faith? God forbid. Yeah, we establish the law. Right. So the Paul bashers and Jews, they're the only people who would quote a book a hundred times and then disregard the rest of the book. Well, well, you know, if Christ didn't quote the rest of the book, then the rest of it must be no good, right? I, I mean, they'll, dis they'll find an agenda to dismiss what they want to dismiss. Yeah, you know, if um, if thou shalt not steal and thou shalt commit, not commit false witness against thy neighbor, and if thou shalt not commit adultery, then thou shalt not lie with another man as you lie with a woman, because the penalty is death. And Paul, in Romans, explicitly explains that. And Paul says that in Romans that not only those who engage in such behavior are liable to death, but those who approve of the people that engage in such behavior. And, and that endangers the validity of the Christian title of men such as Bishop John Spahn. So they have to find ways in their perversion and in their own sin to discard Paul of Tarsus and Paul bashing. That's where the root of Paul bashing lies. With the Jews who want to pervert society and the enemies of God who want to corrupt his people. And they have the likes of John Spong, useful idiots, working with them. Well, well, John Spong and, and, and Clayton Douglas and, and all of the other Paul Bashers. That because there's another, that there's another set of messages in the epistles of Paul that they generally don't attack, and they may not even understand them. But, you know, they attack Paul based on his discussions concerning the law and faith and, and um, things like that, and they take those things out of context. They take statements by Paul out of context. But that other thread of teaching in Paul's, which they ignore, 
is Christian identity and Israel exclusivity. That's why they really want to get rid of Paul of Tarsus. Read 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Read Romans chapter 9. Paul of Tarsus, his epistles have never been taught right in, in, in universalist churches, ever. And the church was universalist right from the 4th century when Christianity was decriminalized and, and it began to be codified in, into the empire. Well, Paul's epistles have never been taught correctly in any mainstream churches, period. If you teach Paul's epistles correctly, the identity of the enemies of God are exposed. The Jew is exposed as the Edomite, as the Canaanite. There's no doubt. And as Satan. So there's other reasons why they have to go to Polytarsus. Well, they're contrary to God, and Paul explains that they're contrary to all men. All right, reference 14. Clay Douglas states, the Edomite Jewish Pharisees were the dominant force controlling the economy and religious thought of the area. To identify with these leaders and to gather the information he needed, he joined their ranks. What, what, what information? What did he need? I thought he was a Roman. Oh, as a Roman citizen and soldier, he held international power over people. And as a Pharisee, he held local power over the Palestinians, which they weren't called that at the time, but oh well. The, the real dichotomy there in, in Clayton Douglas's um, the, the, his proposed version of Paul's intentions is, is this. If Paul was gathering information about Christianity on behalf of the Romans, then how did Christianity survive to take Rome? Not to mention, if he were indeed a centurion, he wouldn't have international power over people. He would have the power to carry out the orders of his superiors and very little else. Well, this shows the propensity of the Paul bashers to, to invent any argument and to fabricate any version of history which suits the moment. And, and then you turn the page and they forget about it and on a different argument and a different version of history. And that's been the case all throughout this material with Graeber and with Douglas. Right. With this blending of authority, the Pharisees used Saul to their advantage. Wait, they're using him to his... The Sadducees. I, I thought Saul was using them to gather information. But now they say that they're using him to their advantage. Saul was encouraged to move swiftly against Esu Emmanuel. Who's Esu Emmanuel again? Which gospel is he mentioned in? <laughs> Who taught truth to the people. He traveled to various cities to hunt them down and to arrest or kill them. Paul Saul tortured and murdered thousands of innocents, many of them mere children. And we, we, realize, we um, gain this information where? Well, that, that, that's the um. I don't, it's it, it's a novel. I mean, Clayton Douglas wrote a novel, or Brother Nazariah, or whoever wrote this wrote a novel. 
You, you had pointed out throughout the series that there were like three or four different types of appellations for Christ, right? Right. And and it seemed it made it seem like there were probably three or four different novelists working on this novel on various chapters. Right, and they invent characters too. Um, Judas Iscariot becomes Judah Icarius. Well, well, Clayton Douglas or, or whoever wrote this crap that they split Judas Iscariot into two different people. And that was basically, uh, I guess that's their understanding because there's two different Greek ways to, ways in Greek to spell Iscariot. And some writers used one way and other writers used another way. And either way is correct. It's, just, it, it's, it's like, are you going to say Bill the New Yorker or Bill the New, New Yorkian or, or New Yorkite or whatever? New Jerseyan? or a New Jerseyite, right? I mean, it's basically the equivalent of doing that in Greek, but there's different ways to spell Iscariot. So they created two different characters. And, and basically, Douglas had um, left Judas off the hook for the murder of Christ. What, which is um, something only a Jew would want to do, I think. He would do that, wouldn't he? Well, with every turn, I, I mean, quoting Nietzsche, God is dead. He's a he's a real authority on Christianity. Quoting Spong, quoting Taylor Caldwell, George Bernard Shaw. Yeah, you know, Graeber, in, in his um, portion of this presentation that we covered, and, and his writing, Graeber basically quoted Peter and claimed to have gained his spiritual sustenance from Peter, yet he ignored Peter's testimony of Paul. Even when he quoted from that same chapter in the second epistle of Peter. How does that happen? How do you do that? And ignore Peter's testimony, um, basically where Peter put a stamp of approval on Paul. If you're going to quote to Peter chapter 2, and and and... and you're going to um, disregard Paul of Tarsus and his ministry and criticize it, then you're a hypocrite because through Peter chapter 2, basically Peter puts his stamp of approval on Paul's entire ministry. That, that's the thinking. That, that's what Henry Graeber did, or, or Jaime Graeber, or whatever his first name is. And, and Clayton Douglas, his writing is filled with the same types of conflicts. They're divided against themselves. Well, like, I, like, like I've said, it's not internally consistent with itself. And if you're writing a book, you know, when Muhammad wrote the Koran, Muhammad first claimed that God made Adam from dust. Then he claimed that God made Adam from water and rose him up from water. Then he claims that God made Adam from a clot of blood. Well, all three couldn't have happened. It's not internally consistent, which is just proof positive that it can't be divinely inspired because God is not the author of confusion. God would know how he created Adam. He wouldn't give three different accounts that all conflict with each other. That's well, absolutely. Example, though. absolutely not. And, and that's another thing is Clayton Douglas, he, he took great advantage or attempted to take great advantage 
of, of mistranslations in the scripture that are clearly mistranslations. And he even went so far as to state in, in one point that he understands that there are, are, are quarrels over the translation, but he didn't want to hear them. He, he refused to consider them and use those statements in, in 1 Corinthians against Paul anyway. And, and using a man's own statement against him and seeing that there's a quarrel over the translation, if you're any kind of honest researcher, you have an obligation to examine the translation because a man a, a man's word shouldn't be forced to discredit the man. Well, if you think someone's a liar, you really can't use their own words to discredit them. Right. It, it's it, it, it's just, the entire thinking of Paul Basher is, is basically convoluted, and, and we're going to continue to demonstrate that when we get to this um this other material on Truth Seeker site and on PaulProblem.faithway.com site. Bet Emet Ministries. That that's a Jewish operation, I would bet. All right. Reference seventeen. I enjoy this one especially. Douglas states Saul promptly changed his name to Paul to disguise himself as a deserter from the Roman army and to fool other disciples of Esu who had been his enemies. Though he had access to Esu's original scrolls, stolen from Judas. Iscariot, Paul twisted, purposefully twisted, these teachings of truth. Paul began traveling from place to place, proclaiming the teachings of Esu. Even Esu's closest followers were fooled into believing what the new missionary taught. So these people were his mortal enemies a few years earlier when he was tracking them around. He got close enough to work with Judas and steal the scrolls. His name was Saul at the time, but now he's going by Paul and they just don't recognize him anymore. That's incredible, isn't it? Paul didn't change his name. Luke said he was Saul, who is also called Paul. That well, was if, someone, if someone said, you are William, also called Bill, oh, you changed your name. Well, well, right, basically. Basically. Through financial <laughs> assistance of his Pharisee friends in Jerusalem, Paul <laughs> set out on his first missionary journey. Now, I wonder... If the Pharisees wanted him to infiltrate the Roman army and work with the Roman army to gain power to help them, and he's now fled the Roman army, he's kind of thrown a wrench in their plans, yet they're still working with him even after he's left his position of international power. Well, well right. It's a novel. Douglas has written a novel, and it doesn't even agree with itself, and it doesn't make any sense in the context of itself. Well, as I said, there's nothing internally consistent with the document. It's one thing if you write an article... Six months later, you write a different article, you've learned more, you've studied more, and you're correcting some of the things from the first article. That, 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 that's fine. You know, Article 2 is not necessarily consistent with Article 1. You grow, you develop, you mature. But if you're writing Article 1 and Page 2 of Article 1 doesn't mesh with Page 1 or Page 3 or Page 4, and then Page 8 contradicts everything before it, well, you've got a problem. You're a liar or you're an idiot or both. I think in Clay Douglas's case, it's probably both, or maybe all three. He's a liar, and he is both. 
Paul set out on his first missionary journey, teaching his twisted version of Esu's new teachings of truth. Here, truth is lowercase. Before, it was uppercase, so I guess it's not an important truth anymore. During his life, he made three major missionary journeys through the countries bordering the east and north shores of the Mediterranean Sea, even as far east as Italy. Well, I guess he was the first person to circumnavigate the globe, but he just... He started going east, and he didn't stop until he came all the way around and landed in Italy. Either that or Douglas doesn't know anything about geography. Well, Douglas was imagining that this, that the, um, that the voyage started in New York, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> Everywhere he traveled, Paul established groups of believers he called churches. These more commonly known churches were Jerusalem, Ephesus, Antioch, Corinth, Colossae, Thessalonica, Philippi. Uh, Laodicea, Galatia, Athens, and Rome. Well, it's a, it's a novel, like you said. I, I think it speaks for itself. I don't know what I can add to this. This is brilliant. I, I couldn't have made this up. I, I could not have made this up. I'd like to mention all those places so that they sound like they have some some scholarly authority for the novel, right? And, and then they can't even tell that Palestine, Italy is west of Palestine. That's, that's right, and that the people there weren't called Palestinians at the time. Right. So Douglas wants to talk about Thessalonica, Philippi, Athens, Corinth, Antioch. He, he can't even find Italy on the map. <laughs> it's east of, of Palestine. I mean, it's a well, I mean, since the earth is round, technically, yes. If you start in Palestine and go east, you can eventually make it to Italy. That's not the most direct route, though. It would be hard to do on a boat, too. Right. Well, well yeah, yeah it's, uh, I mean, you really like all this all this Douglas's failed plot to his novel. You should probably try to straighten it out for him and uh, offer him a deal, you know, for a couple of thousand dollars to clear up the, the, the problems and conflicts with it. Yeah, but he probably doesn't have any money, and he'd probably offer to pay me in drugs, and I'm not a doper, so we probably couldn't work out any sort of deal. Right. He's using, you all of his, he's using all of his money to um, save up to hire the Hell's Angels to come after you. Right. Do you have any more? None for now. No, I'm I'm pretty much done with Douglas. But, well, then we're going to end the Clayton Douglas series here, right? right. <laughs> you think we should um, put out a call to him and try and bring him on the program? No. No. No, because I only have him threat for me. And, um, I mean, I'd love to meet the guy in the back alley somewhere because I'd laugh at him, right? It's not going to work out too good for him. It, it's, um, it, it gets us nowhere, right? I mean, Clayton Douglas is basically a pothead biker who pretends to be a writer and a, com- a, a commentator on current events. It, he's um, by himself... He's a zero, yeah, you know. But now he's he, he's evidently trying to um, redevelop his relationship with Eli James. He's evidently trying to keep his foot in the door of Christian identity, which he's already lambasted for being racist. But the Eli James version is not racist, and it's palatable to him. And, and the proof of that is in the fact that. Um, before Douglas ran into me, he worked with Eli James and wrote a book with him, and, and, and they worked together for a year uh, until he ran into me and, and realized that he didn't belong. Well, he was used to dealing with the great impersonator, and then he ran into the real deal. 
Well, well, right. That's the only way I would quantify it. It's um, that's the way it is. Christianity is racist, and and if you don't like it, you don't belong. God is a racist. God is God is the author of race, kind after kind, ten times in in the first chapter of Genesis, the first two chapters of Genesis, kind after kind, everything after its kind. God is a racist. And, and to be a racist is, is to be willing to defend the creation of God and to stand up for it and to seek to preserve it and to be and, and to love the works of your creator. To be an anti-racist is to be a destroyer of the creation of God and to despise the works of the creator because God's a racist. So, so that's... The, the, that that's the root and irreconcilable difference between the way I think and the way that Eli James and Clayton Douglas think. Well, if they're not part of the creation of God, they just can't understand it then. It wasn't given to them to understand. There's an old Greek po- proverb that the bastard is always an enemy to the newborn. He has to be. Absolutely. There's no doubt. And and we see that in Scripture all the time. It, it proves itself in Scripture all the time. Cain and Abel. Right from right. They try to remake the world in their mixed image. Cain and Abel, Judas and Christ, Herod and Christ. Uh, I mean, you, 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 you could you, you could um, go on and on through Scripture. And then, of course, Esau, he wasn't one himself, but he was certainly engaged in a lot of it, creating a lot of them. Right, and, and for that reason, his children, his offspring, are forever cursed by God. I will make war with Amalek from generation to generation. Yet we're supposed to make um, a covenant with them. We're supposed to make peace with them, and it's only the very specifically named tribes in uh, what was it, Deuteronomy 17? Well, well, yeah, that's the Eli James version of Scripture, right? Teach on Obadiah 118. Where Obadiah says that um, that that the house of Esau will be stubble, but he refuses to teach on Obadiah one sixteen, which talks about all the beasts feeding on Yahweh's holy holy mountain, and that they will be as though they had never existed. So they're going to go back to where they came from. No, they're not going to back to where they came from because Ezekiel thirty nine tells us that it'll take us seven months to burn the bodies. So, so, I mean... And with the um, the Deuteronomy verse, when he says, oh, we're only supposed to make war on those very specifically named tribes, the actual passage says, and you shall utterly destroy them, namely, and then it lists all the tribes. Well, well, you know, Jeremiah... Yeah, yeah right. And, and that's because they're the only alien tribes in... The land of Cain. Right, but the, uh, you have to mention Hutus and Tutsis in in that chapter of Deuteronomy because there weren't any Hutus and Tutsis in the land of Canaan. Aside from that, this is a game with words again. He's he's making up definitions because the definition, he's a the definition of the word "namely" does not mean exclusively; it means specifically and especially with particular attention to. Absolutely, it does not mean only or exclusively. Well, well, I'd like to see how he interprets Jeremiah chapter 30, verse 11, where Yahweh says, talking about the dispersion of the children of Israel, where he says, For I am with thee, saith Yahweh, to save thee 
Though I make a full land of all nations, wherever I have scattered thee, yet I will not make a full end of thee. Now, where is Israel not scattered? And perhaps those people will survive this. I will make a full end of all the nations whither I have scattered thee. Now, if you don't get that in Jeremiah chapter 30, it's repeated in Jeremiah chapter 46, verse 28. So, uh, I mean, there are other scriptures uh, I could point to. Okay, we're going to end the Paul Basher series here. And I will be here next week, Yahweh willing, with Acts chapter 9. The Saturday program, we're going to start a two-seed-line series soon. I don't know if it's going to be next Saturday or if we're going to want to do something else in between before we start another um, lengthy presentation. We're going to leave it open for now and discuss it during the week. All right, and let's just make one final excuse me, note here. Everybody should remember, the Paul Bashers had how many weeks to come on here and, and deal with our um, challenge? Well, well, probably uh, I, I'm I'm not going to remember when I did when we did Paul Bashers Part One, but but this is the 23rd presentation in probably about 28 to 30 weeks in there somewhere. So they've had about half a year at least. We started this I think before January 1st, so it's been a while. And this is July. They've had ample opportunity to accept the challenge, offer a refutation in writing to the points that you've raised or that I've raised, and they've done nothing. Well, well, they've had ample opportunity to email me and offer me a discussion, which which was my original challenge, that I would consider having anybody who could keep a civil tone of voice and, 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 a, um, and a fair discussion to anybody who wants to discuss any Paul Basher who wanted to come on here and make his case is welcome to make his case. That pretty much would rule out Douglas, though, since he's a clown who threatens people with violence. Well, well, yeah, well, he could threaten me with violence. That ain't going to do him any good. Where's that going to get him? I mean, it's ridiculous. It, it's not going to do him any good. So, I mean, what's the That's the extent of their argument. They lie, they defame, they slander, and when you call them on it, they threaten you. Well, well, you know, there's two podcasts. They're no longer on Christagenia. They are now at archive.christagenia.org. But they are still on my website. They're at archive.christagenia.org. I moved, I moved many of my podcasts from my first two years, many of the Eli James, not all of them, but most of the Eli James podcasts and, and a lot of other things that I've done. Some of the open, most of the open forum programs, the, the original Euro forum programs, I moved them to a website called archive.christagenia.org. To, to get them off my main site and, and to free it up to free up some some um, space I don't really have to free up space but I'd like to keep my main site relatively clean so I took a lot of the older content which I don't hold much stock in and put it off on the archive site and I'll be doing that with more material in the future and and especially material that I think is obsolete replaced with pure material. Well, well, I have those two programs that Clayton Douglas invited me to do when I called him out in an EUI James forum for being a Paul Basher. And basically, we had a, an extended argument, and it ended by him 
challenging me to come on his program so he could talk to me about those things. And I went on his program twice, and he didn't even know what the hell to ask me. He didn't even know what to ask. I, I mean, the podcasts are there. Anybody could go listen to them. But we discuss anything that we plan to discuss because Clayton Douglas is basically an imbecile that doesn't know a damn thing about the Bible. And yet he's a critic of the Bible. He's a critic of Paul Tarsus. I mean, he didn't write these Paul bashing articles that we presented in his name, but he's the one that took credit for them, and he published them under his name. So he gets the, gets the blame. Right. He should have thought of that before he assigned his name to someone else's article. And that's exactly what he did. Probably because he didn't want to expose the Jew pastor that really wrote the articles. So they came to him and said, uh, Comrade Douglas, we need your help. And he said, sure thing, Moshe, what is it? And they said, well, Joe said, you know, you're a good guy. And he says, Joe, oh, yeah, you know, Eli from Chicago, he said you'd help us out. Okay, what do you need? Put your name on these articles. Sure thing. Well, well, you know, it's something like that. It, it's Clayton Douglas published these articles in his name. He took the credit for them. These articles have a very serious Jewish overtone. Uh, I mean, these articles that Clayton Douglas published in his name, attacking Paul Tarsus, basically denied the fact that Joshua Christ was the Messiah. And, and, and that's, the, that's the foundation of Christianity, right? So they're really Jewish articles. They're not Christian at all. And he meant that denial is very explicit. All right, so Douglas the, is done. The is Jewish. Everywhere you everywhere you you trace it, you will find that the root of Paul bashing is always Jewish. You will always find Jews under the hood. Thank you for joining me in this series, and, and I'll see you Saturday. Next Saturday, we'll be back here next week talking about something or other. I'm not, just not sure yet. So return to sanity. Praise Yahweh. We're done with Clay Douglas. Thank you for listening and for suffering through 23 weeks to that. Good night. Yahweh bless. Good night.